Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. More information about Lifehouse and our senior pastors, Richard and Helen Kabakian, can be found at lifehouse.com.au. We hope you enjoy the following message. I was born at Box Hill Hospital. I'm as Asian as it comes, but that was back before all the Chinese took it over. Also, my mum says, she reckons she, was, she came before everyone, but it's just a great spot. But at Box Hill in a swimming pool, so my mum was a prodigy swimmer because she was in the Olympics for synchronised swimming, and my dad was a prodigy swimmer too. So they met there, they fell in love, and they ended up having me, and it was a surprise, it was unexpected. So what ended up happening was they were both studying full-time, just these two unqualified refugee immigrants trying to make their way in this world. So what they ended up doing was they sent me to China for three years to live with my grandparents. Not a lot of people know that about me, but the first three years of my life, I lived in China with my grandparents. My first language is Chinese. I speak Chinese. When I go back to my mum's hometown, at that time, it was like China was still opening their doors to the world. So I was this brown baby in China with my grandparents. Everyone's like, who is this guy? When I go back to my hometown, everyone's like, oh, it's you, Andongni. Yeah, like, and they all know me. They're trying to bless me. And I'm like, I have no, lady, I don't know who you are, man. Like, do you remember me? I was like, lady, I was three. I'm, I'm sorry, I do not know who you are. I'm like famous when I go back to my hometown. Everyone knows me in that little village. Um, but yeah, so, so, so these guys, they, um, so my parents, they were just two un- unqualified people trying to make it in the world. Um, and unfortunately, what happened was when I came home, um, having been gone for a while, uh, my dad developed some sort of like a, a separation anxiety from not being with me. He developed mental health issues. And my mum basically bur- uh, shouldered the burden for all of it. And my mum growing up was my hero. She was my absolute hero. What ended up happening was they ended up getting divorced uh, by the time that I was five. Uh, my dad got on the drink. He became a gambler. Um, all the hardships in their life, he became a gambler and they ended up getting divorced. Uh, so my mum raised me. My mum raised me. I never really had a great relationship with my father because he was always you know, in, in a tough spot. Um, she had a relationship for eight years with a man who was probably the closest thing I had to a dad for a, for a long, long time. He was a great guy, um, taught me a lot about who I am today. Um, and they ended up breaking up. And I remember one night I was just sitting outside my mum's room as she was in bed and she was crying, bawling her eyes out. And it was just, just a moment for me as I sat there and I just didn't know what to do. I would have been like 12 12-year-old boy, and just seeing her strength and just picking her feet back up again and just, and just keep moving our family forward, and she raised me. Um, and she put me through school. She was always working full-time. Um, I was in before our school care, like, every day, holiday programs all the time because my mum was working, put me through Aiken College, private school. So my mum's a champion. Um, she ends up, uh, as I finished my studies, she worked full-time, but she also studied full-time. She became a financial planner. Um, she you know, was working at a call centre, became a financial planner. She's been working for six years now as a financial planner, works for a private firm. She's doing great. She's your classic Asian mum now. She owns property. She's a gun. She's, she's killing it. Lives in the east side of Melbourne. Uh, but she's my hero. And growing up, she taught me with her example that no matter what the world throws at you, no matter what comes your way, no matter how unqualified you feel, with that grit and grind of, I wanna keep moving forward. I'm gonna pick my feet up. I'm gonna lift my head. I'm gonna keep moving forward. No matter how unqualified you may feel, you can make your dreams come true. And you know, the thing, she didn't even have Jesus on her side. It was just pure grit and grind. Just a woman trying to provide for her son. I think that's awesome. But you know what, we actually do. We do have Jesus on our side. So when we encounter these hardships, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you what, what we can do when we encounter these hardships. You guys ready for this? We're gonna open up, we're gonna dive into the Word. Have a look at a bunch of unqualified people in our Bible. You ready? Matthew chapter four and verse 18. It's gonna be on the screens. Here's what it says. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into a lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me. Jesus says, that's important. He said, come follow me. 
and I'll send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing the nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and they, they left their father as well, apparently, and they followed him. So we may have heard this story before, but like, let's take a minute to actually break it down. Like, this story is whack. Like, this guy comes along the beach, sees a bunch of fishermen, he says, you, come follow me. And they do it. They actually follow him. Like, have you guys actually tried to process this before? Imagine you're on the job site, you're working, you're laying bricks, you're a carpenter, you know, on the job site, you got your, you know, you're on the full-time wage, you're working, you've got a family, you've got a mortgage to pay off. Some guy comes, hey, you, come follow me. I'm gonna make you build people. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, all right. I'm down for that. Imagine the convo with your wife. Like, what does that convo look like? How's your day, honey? Yeah, it was great. Like, this guy, I'm gonna follow, I'll quit my job, I'm gonna follow this guy now. He's gonna, I'm gonna build people. Like, interesting story. And this makes me wonder, is there more to this story? Yes. The answer is yes, there is more to this story. In order for us to understand the story, what we need to do is we need to look at it with, through a historical context. What historical context means is, I believe it's gonna be on the screen. This is what historical context means. Historical context refers to the social, religious, economic and political, political conditions that existed during a certain time and place. Did it go on the screens? All good. Historical, basically, basically what that means is, it's just saying, what was life like back then in first century Israel, in, first, in the first century times back then, for the Jewish nation back then? Well, in the first century Jewish time, every young man strived and wanted to grow up to be a rabbi. Did you know that? Every young man, that was the pinnacle. That was the best thing that you could be. Just like in our day and age, everyone wants to grow up and be a professional athlete. I, I wanted to be a professional athlete. I wish I could have. I got Olympic genes, like, but I never made it. My mum was an Olympian. My dad can actually do butterfly. Can anyone here actually do butterfly? He can actually swim butterfly. And I can't even float. <laughs> like, I can't swim. My wife is five foot four. She's a better swimmer than me. It's, it's in, I don't know. It just never happened for me. But back in those days, every single young man wanted to grow up to be a rabbi, but only the best of the best of the best ever made it. And 99.9% of young men, what would happen is somewhere along the journey, they would get told, sorry, son, you're not good enough. Sorry, son, you're actually unqualified. You're not, you're not, you're not smart enough. You're not brave enough. You don't have enough authority to become a rabbi. Just like me, I was told at a young age, sorry, son, like, you're, you're not gonna make it. My mum tried to teach me synchronized swimming. Didn't work. Didn't work at all. So back in those days, it was the greatest honour for any young man to be entrusted with interpreting the sacred text, the Bible. That's why it was such an honour. It was, it was an honour to be able to interpret and teach, not just teach like elementary school, but teach the Bible. It was the greatest honour that you could have. And let me tell you a bit about rabbi school. You guys ready to learn a bit of history about rabbi school? I'm gonna break it down real quick. But the journey to become a rabbi, the reason it was so hard, it was just, it was just really, really hard to become a rabbi. This is what you need to do. There was five steps, ready? The first thing, if you wanted to be a rabbi, uh, everyone, the fathers would always teach their sons and their daughters the sacred text. But number one, what you needed to do was, if you wanted to become a rabbi, you needed to memorise Leviticus by age six. The whole book. And when I say memorise, I mean recall it verbally by age six. We do memory verses up in kids every week. And like, that's awesome. But it's like one verse per week. Was it one verse per month? One verse per month. And these six-year-olds had to memorise the whole book of Leviticus by age six. And if you were to do that, and not everyone would, you'd graduate from the next level. And what that was, was you had to memorise the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy by age 12. So you had six years to do that. 
And once again, you have to recall it verbally. If you were able to do that, you actually didn't graduate to the next level. You actually just qualified yourself for an exam. A sitting exam, that's step, step three. And the exam was, this was the exam, ready, listen. You had to keep a conversation going with a rabbi. Ask theological questions about the Bible and keep an educated conversation going with a rabbi. That's what you had to do. That was your exam. And you're probably wondering, like, did Jesus like do all this stuff? Well, I think He did because there's a story. We don't know much about Jesus, do we? But He was born. We know that He was born. Uh, we know that when He was about 30, He got baptised. He started doing ministry. He started doing miracles. We don't really know a lot about His childhood life, but there is one story and it's going to go up and we're going to have a look at this story in Luke chapter 2. This is what it says. When Jesus was 12 years old, how old was He? 12. Interesting. His family, they attended a festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus was behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first, but they assumed that he was among other travellers. First of all, that's like, how do you like lose your kid? But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among the relatives. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed, understanding his answers. So what I imagine was that Jesus was on this journey and he did get to that stage of sitting that exam and interpreting the text. So pretty, pretty cool stuff. Uh, next step, you know, if you graduated that exam, you would go to 18 years of discipleship school where full-blown full rabbis would come to you and say, come follow me. That was the key word. You, come follow me. I'm going to teach you how to teach. I'm going to teach you how to live. In those days, what you would do is you would follow your rabbi. You would walk like them. You talk like them, you teach like them. The things that they taught about the Bible, that's what you would teach. And that was what you would do. And once you become 30, what you would do is you would then go and make your own disciples. You would go and make your own disciples. And where do you think that they might have looked for disciples? What do you guys think? The school, that's right, Sean. The people who graduated, they probably would have gone to that discipleship school. Would you agree? To look for some, some spry 12-year-olds to sort of t- take on the journey with them? But Jesus didn't do that, did he? He graduated school. Where did he find his first disciples? On the beaches. He found fishermen, humble fishermen. The thing about these fishermen was that at one stage in their life, they would have been told, son, you're not good enough to be a rabbi. You're never going to make it. Someone told him, sorry, you're not smart enough. You can't interpret the Bible. Another thing was, these 12 disciples, they weren't just like any dudes teaching the Bible. This was Jesus' hope for humanity. The people that would build the church, preach the gospel, spread it around nations. And he chose not rabbis, not the qualified, but the unqualified fishermen. And that's why when he said those words, come and follow me, they were like, I'm coming. I'm leaving my job. I'm I'm leaving my parents. I'm going to come and follow you, Lord. That's our Saviour. That's who our Saviour Jesus is. He chooses you. Even though you may feel unqualified, even though you may not feel like you're up for the task, whatever that may be, whatever that looks like for your life, Jesus chooses you. Jesus isn't looking for qualified people. I think in this, this day and age, like through social media, media, there's just this, and like keeping up with the Kardashians and, and MTV Cribs, like we see this perfect life that like we need to live, but it's just not the case. Jesus chooses you no matter what your circumstance looks like. Every single fisherman, tax collector, professional athlete had already been disqualified, but Jesus said, nah, I'm going to choose you. Come and follow me. I don't know where you're at today, if you feel unqualified, if you feel like you're not good enough for a job, or, or maybe you just feel like, maybe it's not that you're unqualified, it's just that you don't have anything left in your tank to pray your way through this situation. Whatever you're facing today, maybe you feel like, you know, I'm not good enough. Uh, you know, God wouldn't want to use me. 
But our God is in the business of taking broken people, turning them into beautiful things. That's the business that our Jesus is into. He's taking, he's, he, he took unqualified fishermen, he took Peter, and he said, I'm gonna turn you into rock on which I build this church. And he built that church. And that's us today. That's all, that's every single one of us. I don't know if you're feeling weak today, if you're feeling like you're not good enough, if you're feeling like, I don't know where I'm gonna get strength to keep moving forward, to take on this job. Maybe you're applying for jobs, you can't get that job. Maybe you're looking for that special one that you can't, you just can't seem to find them. Maybe you're feeling weak. Well, I've got some great news for you. There's a scripture in Corinthians that says this. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and all the insults and all the hardships and all the persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. I don't know if you're feeling weak today. You may be feeling strong. But in those moments of weakness, us as Christians, when we have Jesus in our life, when we feel weak, when we feel like we can't keep going, when we can't get out of bed, when we can't keep pushing through, when we can't keep believing for that miracle, for that healing, for that job, when you feel like you don't have the smarts to, to step out and start your own business, to leave your job, when I am weak, then I am strong. That's what we need to live by. We need to live by that when I am weak, when I am strong. In my experience, there's two, there's two parts of feeling unqualified, right? Two parts in our journey of feeling unqualified. Number one is feeling that you are unqualified for Jesus to love you. Ooh. Has anyone ever been in that spot? Feeling unqualified for Jesus to love you? I, I, uh, I had to go to Bible college to fully understand what this meant. I was a Christian for like maybe six years and then I had, eventually I went to Bible college and, and it was until then that I fully came to grips with what this meant for Jesus to love me, for me to be qualified for Jesus to love me. You know, in my journey, I always understood that like I needed to forgive people. Anyone like, we, we know that, yeah, like we know that we should forgive people. You know, it only hurts us. I knew that I had to forgive the people that have hurt me. Um, sometimes I didn't want to do it, but I knew that that was like a part of my journey. Um, but what I didn't understand was, is a whole nother ball game was that I needed to understand that God had actually forgiven me. It was a whole different, I didn't even know that I needed so badly to understand that. Each and every one of us today, we need to understand how much Jesus loves us, how much He's forgiven us, that no matter what you've done, He's forgiven you. There's a song that you may have heard of. It's called Amazing Grace. Have you heard it? I'm not gonna sing it to you. It's a hymn. I can't sing. No, sorry. Do you, do you wanna get up and sing it? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Now the history of this song, there's an author, his name was John Newton. He was a slave ship captain. He was said to be an evil, evil man. And there's stories that he would use to take newborn babies, smash them up the, the mast of a ship and throw them overboard. An evil, evil man. Ends up one day getting caught in a, in a massive storm, praise to God, saying, God, save me, from this, save me from this storm. He ends up getting saved, converts to Christianity, ends up loving Jesus. One day he ends up becoming an abolitionist to, to, you know, against slavery. And he composes this song, Amazing Grace how sweet the sound, that it would save a wretch like me. He understood that he was a wretch. He understood that he had done evil things, but he understood that God's grace was enough for him. I was lost, but now I'm found. What a statement to make. What a statement of faith to make. We've all been in a place when we've been lost before. I don't know if you feel like you're in that spot where God could never love me. I've done things, I've done, I've done things and that I'm not proud of and God, I'm not good enough for God, but I was in that stage. I remember when I was young, when I was in youth, it was like every week I was in worship, hands up, God, forgive me, forgive me, not knowing that I had already been forgiven. As a young adult, I, you know, I wandered away from my faith for three years and I just did everything that 
young and old people do, just live a normal young adult life and, and went to parties and, and just lived as a, as a young adult, lived in sin. Um, and when I came back, I was like, man, is God really going to like want me? Does, he, does God even want me? Does God want me back? I know I gave my life to Him all those years ago, but does God want me back? I feel broken. I feel unworthy. I feel unqualified for Your love because God is just the, the God of the universe. And He's so pure. He's so perfect. Like, could He love me? The answer is yes. See, see, John Newton understood that. Amazing grace. You know what grace is? It's something that you get even though you don't deserve it. We didn't deserve God's grace. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, but we got His grace. What, what would happen is in the olden days, if you wanted to get rid of your sin, what you, need to, what you would need to do is you need to take a lamb and every year you would go and you'd sacrifice that lamb and the blood of that lamb would cover your sins for one year. You and your family, it would cover your sins. Keyword, cover your sins. Every year you had to do that if you had sinned, which is everyone. Everyone has sinned. And that was, that's what they would need to do. But have, take, take a look at what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus. John the Baptist is a key guy. This is, what, this is what he said. When John saw Jesus coming towards him, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Key word, Lamb of God. In the old days, you had to sacrifice a lamb. It would cover your sin just for the year. But when Jesus came, He died on the cross. We know He was crucified for our sins. What that meant was it completely took away our sin. It obliterated it once and for all time. For all time. If you're sitting here and you don't know, and you say, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a dirty sinner. Well, that's not true. That's not true at all. We aren't sinners anymore. Because Jesus paid that price once and for all time, for all of our past, for all of our futures. He paid that price for, the, for our sin, for all our inequities. And He took it all away because His grace is just that good. It's just that, that good. That's number one. Feeling like we're unqualified for Jesus to love us. If there's one thing for you to take away today, I pray that you would know that. You'll always be qualified for Jesus. No matter what you do, no matter where you walk, no matter what you see, no matter what things you do, you would understand that Jesus loves you and He'll forgive you every single time. You just gotta raise your hand and say, God, I love you. I wanna follow you, Lord. That's number one. Number two is this. Number two is this. When, when God calls us to become the best version of ourselves, what does it look like to you? Being the best version of yourself. What does that look like? Maybe going to the gym, getting up an hour earlier every single day, you know, being a super mom, uh, you know, doing great, uh, being motivated, being really motivated about yourself, about your reading, about your worship, about your discipline, um, you know, going great in business. I think those things are great. I think God wants us to become the best versions of ourselves. But even more so, what I believe is that God wants us to unlock our dreams and our desires and our passion. God wants that for us and He's calling us to do that today. He's calling you to unlock your passion, your desires. What are you most passionate about? What are your dreams for your life, for your family, for your financial situation? What are your dreams? God is calling you to do that. But often we can feel unqualified to live the life that is ahead of us. We can feel like we're not good enough. We can't commit to the study. You know, we don't have the smarts to, to go about that business. Um, but I want to tell you a story about a man that I love and really look up, look, really, really look up to. I, lo- I love a lot of things in this world, but more than anything, I love KFC. I love Kentucky Fried Chicken. I have it pretty much every Sunday after church. Me and my wife, on the way, it's on the way home. We're probably gonna have it today. I started with popcorn chicken combos when I was six. Snack boxes, I remember when they were little square boxes. You guys remember that? Snack boxes became a go bucket. Just as good, same thing. A bit more breathable with the, with the lid. I love KFC. But there's a man called Colonel Sanders. He's on the face, you know, he's the face of the bucket. I just want to share a bit about his story. So, so Colonel Sanders, before he was Colonel Sanders, he failed as a lawyer and also as a nurse. 
He ended up owning a restaurant in Kentucky where he developed his famous herbs and spices for the chicken. It was in a gas station. It was a restaurant in a gas station. Eventually, bought out the gas station. He was killing it. it. Became a restaurant. It's like a museum now, which you can go visit. Which one day, we're going. We're going to the KFC Museum. It's happening. I don't know where else is in Kentucky, but we're going to the KFC Museum. When he was 65, which is retirement age, there was a highway built that basically bypassed the town and his restaurant failed. His business went broke and he went bankrupt and he had to go on a pension of $105 per month. That was all he had to live on. He's 65, right? Man, I, I don't know. Did he have super? I don't know if America even has super. Probably not. He had $105 to live on. Do you know what he decided to do? Instead of giving up, he actually contemplated suicide. He contemplated, he said, there's nothing I have more to live for. But then he found something inside of himself. And this is what he did. He went, he got in his car, he drove around America through all the states, selling the recipe to franchise his chicken for four cents per piece of chicken. Every piece of chicken sold, he would get four cents. And legend has it that he heard 1,009 no's before his first yes lived in his cars, begged meals off his friends, and he heard a thousand and nine no's before he heard his first yes. And today, there's a KFC on every corner. Yeah. And I praise God for Colonel Sanders every day. <laughs> it's just the story of a man that didn't know how to give up, even though he was unqualified at every turn of his life. Even though at age 65, he was told, sorry, we're gonna have to take away your restaurant. It's over, man, it's over. He decided that he wasn't gonna give up. Even though I'm unqualified, I'm not giving up. There's a story in the Bible about a guy called Moses. Great character in the Bible. Did a lot of great things. Uh, led the nation of Israel out of slavery. Awesome guy. When God meets him, it was called this burning bush moment. God appears in a burning bush and he speaks to Moses. And this is what he says. Actually, I don't have what he says. He says, Moses, I've called you to lead our nation out of slavery. I've called you. There are millions and millions of Jews living in Egypt in slavery and God says, Moses, I choose you. I want you to come and save these people. This is Moses' reply. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before the Pharaoh? Who am I to lead people out of the land of Egypt? I think that's a question that we all ask ourselves. Who am I? What about him? That guy's, that guy's awesome. He's way better than me. He's smarter than me. Why me? Who am I, God? It's a question I ask myself all the time. I see people way more talented than me doing things that I wish I could do. And that was, it's just such a human thing for Moses to do. This is what we, I just think that's what we do as humans. Who am I, God? Have a look at what God says. It's powerful. God answered, I will be with you. I will be with you. My mum, Colonel Sanders, they didn't have God on their side and they just rely on that hustle and that grit and that energy to keep going. But what happens when you run out of energy? What happens when you run out of hustle? I will be with you. I will be with you. God says, I will be with you. No matter what you go through, what storms you're going through, what you are facing, the challenges, the trials you're facing, God says, I will be with you. But you know, that actually wasn't even enough for Moses. He, he made more excuses. I'm not good enough. I'm not a good enough public speaker. How am I gonna lead all these people? In, in chapter four, Moses protests again. What if they won't believe me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? He's making excuses. What excuses are we making for ourselves today? God wants you to be the best version of yourself. He wants you to live your best life, to unlock the dreams that are on your life. Maybe that's preaching the gospel. Maybe that's telling your friends about Jesus. We live in a broken world. In all our workplaces, I imagine we represent hospitals and schools and tradies and accounting firms. There's so many people that need the love of God, but maybe you don't feel like you have what it takes to speak to these people. I don't know enough about my Bible. I wasn't raised in a Christian home, neither was I. I didn't grow up in kids' ministry. But I'm up here, I'm preaching, I'm leading kids' ministry now. 
What excuses are we making for ourselves? It's different for all of us. We all have excuses, but I'm encouraging you, don't make those excuses. God says, I'll be with you. Have a look at what God replies. This is what He replies. He says, Lord, the Lord asked him, what is in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. That's God's question to you today. What is in your hand, friends? What has God given you? A story? A story of hardship? A story of healing from cancer or sickness? A childhood of abuse that you're going to use to save some young girl's life? What has God given you? A mind, a strategic mind to build businesses. An ability to speak and to influence and to change people's lives. Healing hands of prayer. What has God given you? What's in your hands? What's in your hands? What has He given you? He's given us something. He's given you a dream in your heart and He's given you the ability to fulfil that dream too. I promise you. He wouldn't put something in your heart. He wouldn't give you a desire to do something, to see people saved. An ideal picture of your life without giving you the ability to achieve it. I just don't believe that about God. Mm. I, uh, I've never worked, confession, I've never worked at a job for like longer than one year. I've got this itch that when I get to one year, I've got to get out of there. Anyone else have this sort of itch? Yeah, it's like, like not that I got fired, like I, I just, I have to go somewhere else. Um, the longest place I've worked for other than church is a place called Star Trek. You guys know Star Trek? I was a freight handler handling boxes. I loved that job. It was awesome. I got to speak to new people every day because I was a casual. I was bumping around the workshop and um, meeting people every day. So that's my career. I'm a freight handler. <laughs> Paul was a tent maker. I'm just a humble freight handler. That's all I am. That's, that's the most experience I've had in a job other than working at church. I'm just a humble freight handler. At every stage of my life, I have felt unqualified. At every turn. I'm just a humble freight handler, just trying to make my way. Just like my parents back in the day. I'm rhyming now, on accident. Poet, didn't even know it. I moved out of home when I was 18. I was kicked out. My mum had a partner and we didn't get along. I was kicked out of home. Uh, had never had a full-time job. Uh, didn't know where I was going to live, unqualified. When I took over children's ministry, I was 20. I was 20 years old. I never grew up in kids' ministry. Had been serving there for a year. Didn't know what I was doing. Unqualified. I took it on. I'm like, yeah, sweet, let's do this. Let's go. We're doing this. I got married two months ago um, to the woman of my dreams, Elizabeth, who's sitting in the front row. Love a married life. But uh, I didn't grow up knowing a married, a married home. My parents were divorced. I, I never saw what that looked like. I didn't know what it was like to, to be the head of a home, to, to, to you know, sit at the head of that table and to pray at grace, to lead my wife and I, to lead our family, to set goals for our lives, unqualified. But you know, God actually graced me with five years living with a family from this church, boarding with them. Graced me with a man of God that showed me what it meant to provide, to work hard, to pray for your family and to lead your family in faith. He graced me with that. He gave me everything I needed, even though I was so unqualified. That's just a part of my journey. And you know, one day I will be a father. One day I'm gonna have my own family. But, but my relationship with my father was rocky as ever. He wanted to abandon me when I was 19. My father did. I just know there's a scripture in Psalm and it says, God is the father to the fatherless, defender of widows. That's our God. He's everything that you need today. Whatever you're searching for inside of you to keep moving forward, to keep pushing through, He's everything that you need. I love that scripture. Father to the father. That's me. God, you're my father. Unqualified. Unqualified. I didn't see what it was like to raise a child. But I know that one day, God is going to have everything that I need. That's just my story. I wonder, what, what are your stories? Everyone in this room today has a story. I don't know, maybe, maybe you're like the most confident guy ever and you believe in yourself and you don't feel unqualified. That's awesome. You, you, you go. 
preach this message to your friends. Get some of that confidence over to your friends. But me, I'm just a humble freight handler trying to make my way. Even as I stand up here today, the only reason I'm able to preach faith today is because I know that God said, I will be with you. I just understand that. The only reason I'm up here, it's not because of my own merit. There's plenty of people that are better, better at speaking than me, know more about the Bible than me. The only reason I'm up here is because I know that God said, I will be with you. What's in your hands? Anthony, I've given, I've given you a passion to preach about me, to preach about that love that I was talking about. And I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it until I can't do it anymore. Hey, that's our God. And He wants you to live the best version of your life. I don't know what that looks like, but you do. You know what the best version of you looks like. He wants you to go do that. Do you feel unqualified? Remember, Jesus didn't choose the best rabbis. He didn't choose the best students. He chose humble fishermen, humble freight handlers. That's who our God chooses. But uh, before all that, before we become the best version of ourselves, achieve, achieve our dreams, we need to understand that first point. That first point, God, I don't feel good enough. I don't feel qualified enough for your love, for your forgiveness, for a relationship with you. We need to understand that. As I said, I, you know, I put my hand up many times to receive Jesus. It wasn't until I was, understood this point where I fully came to terms with God's grace. He loves you so much, friends. If you've never put your hand up to receive Jesus, we're about to give you an opportunity to do that. It's the best decision you'll ever make. But it comes starting by believing amazing grace. How sweet this sound that it would save a wretch like me. I don't know what you've done in your life. You may feel dirty, you may feel unqualified, but Jesus wants you. He wants a relationship with you. Do you know what a relationship it is? Do you know what a relationship is? It's just like what you and me have. It's talking to each other. It's been there for each other. No one stands alone. That's what a relationship with God is. He's there for you. And He wants to say, I will be with you. No matter what you go through, I will be with you. God wants to say that to you. It starts with a relationship with Him. And all it takes, there's one more scripture that I have to share. And uh, I'm sharing it with my my paper Bible because this is some powerful stuff. You ready for this? None of this electric Bible on my iPad. I've turned to the wrong passage. (laughs) John 3.16. For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We've heard it. We've heard it before. Or maybe you haven't. I just pray you wouldn't hear it too much to, to forget what it says to us. God loved us so much, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him, it doesn't say the rabbis who are qualified, It says, whosoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Come on, can we give God some praise? Hi, I'm Richard Kabakian, pastor of Lifehouse Church. Just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message and I hope and pray that you feel that it's added value to your life. My greatest desire is to see people develop a personal relationship with Jesus, which can begin by praying a very simple prayer. I'm going to pray that prayer right now. And if you'd like to begin that relationship, you can just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I choose you as my only hope of being forgiven. Please come into my life and let me begin a relationship with you that will last for all eternity. If you've prayed that prayer, we would love to know about it and celebrate your fantastic decision. You can do that by sending an email to mydecision at lifehouse.com.au. We look forward to hearing from you.